0: All right, Isaiah 6. I'm going to be in two, two passages today. Isaiah 6 and then Jeremiah, the first chapter. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. I just love this passage of scripture. I have to tell you. Just when I, when I even when I read it, I just go... hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this is has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, Make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Lord, at his blessing of the reading of Scripture, you may be seated. As I was saying, we were, we were going through this a little bit on Wednesday night in the book of Isaiah, and we're right here as well, which is why I'm, I'm kind of doing both here. Uh, this great passage of Scripture, I mean, it's a, every verse... Uh, every, every phrase, every, sometimes every word, you can, you can do a sermon on it, and you can spend a while just here in this passage of Scripture. It's, it's amazing the stuff that's, that's happening here. So what I want to do this morning, I want to do kind of a flyover of this, uh, and uh, so here we go. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw. And this is kind of basic, all right? This is kind of basic. One of the reasons Isaiah was so absolutely astounded and knocked out and over, because like any other Israelite at this time, any religious person, matter of fact, he was going into the temple. He was going to church like he had done hundreds of times. It was a Sabbath day. And the very last person (laughs) he expected to see was God. Think about that. God. He'd always felt the presence of God. One day he came in and he saw. He saw. Now, the Bible continues to tell us Christianity is is not about rules. It's not about regs. It's not about beliefs. the, The little word saw here means Isaiah moved from knowing about God To knowing God. He saw him. He saw him. He saw God that day, and he saw God, and it shocked him. It shocked him. There's a passage where Jesus uh, throws you the, the money changers out of the temple, you know the passage, and he says to them, you know, my house uh, should be a house of prayer, and nobody's praying, and nobody's meeting God. Nobody's meeting God. And it reminds me actually of, of, also of another passage of, of Mary and Martha, who are friends of Jesus. Jesus came to stay with them, and the passage is in Luke 10. And uh, right away, Martha says, Oh my goodness, I have to serve Jesus. You know, and she starts running around the house and she's frantic about it. There's so much to do. Jesus is here. My wife is like that when she knows one of you are coming by. You know, she says, Tom, clean up the house. You know, and I'm frantically doing that but I have to shop, I have to cook, I have to clean, I have to do all these things. Martha's serving Jesus, being busy for Jesus, doing things in Jesus' name, right? And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's communing with him. She's listening. Her face is uplifted toward him. And at one point, Martha runs by where they're sitting, and she's perturbed. And she says, Lord, will you tell my sister to help me? You tell my sister to start serving you? And Jesus says, she is serving me. She is serving me. He says, Martha, you're worried about so many things, so many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part. And he says, Martha, you're doing everything in my name, but beneath it all, you're not actually seeing me. You're not seeing me. You're not knowing me. In other words, the reason Jesus died on the cross and went through all the agony that he went through was not for our busyness, not for running programs or going to meetings, doing all these religious duties. Listen, Jesus died so that you could have access to God. He died so that you could have access to Almighty God, so that you could come into the presence of God and not be consumed. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary is doing the one thing that I came for. Mary sees me. Mary knows me. Mary has access to me. You might know all your doctrine, know your Bible from cover to cover, have a long recorded ministry, living a clean life, doing all the right things, a spotless record, but so what? That's Martha stuff. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do things, doesn't mean that at all. The point is do you see Him? That's the point. Do you see Him? Do you actually know Jesus? Are you connecting with him in your life? Is there joy that you can draw from that enables you to face whatever life throws at you? Is your Christian behavior an overflow of an already filled cup of the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, or is it to convince yourself that God must... He has to like me because look how busy I am. Look at all that I'm doing for him. See, all of your busyness can be a symptom of emptiness. It's great to be busy for God, but what's the motive, right? What's the motive? One day Isaiah came to church and he saw him. He saw him and his life His life changed dramatically. That's what he said here. That's what he said. He's saying, come on, Martha, be a Mary, come on, Martha, be a Mary. We're all different, all of us. Diversity is an N-word today, right? Diversity is an N-word, but the diversity that I want to talk about this morning, what I see here in scripture, isn't about the kind of diversity the word means nowadays. Isaiah's called a ministry. His experience is extremely different from that, and that's why I want to go to Jeremiah, than what Jeremiah's call to ministry was. Ministers are different. They have different aspects of their calling. Isaiah gets this Passage that we're looking at to this amazing, lofty, majestic experience of God. And he says, I saw the Lord sitting high up on the throne, high and lifted up, exalted and high. See, Isaiah thought of God as kind of being a buddy, kind of being a buddy. What he needed was to see God high and himself as low. He needed that. God has everything. I need him. I have nothing. God, you know, know, the nothingness of Isaiah, the amazing grace and goodness of who God is. God is everything. And he needed that. It's like when God calls Jeremiah, you know, which is in the next book, and then we're going to look at the first chapter. You want to swing over that. Is his calling like Isaiah's? No, not at all. Not at all. At least not on the surface. Not on the surface. In Jeremiah 1, if you drop down to verse 5, it says this Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, This is the call of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now think about that when you go to vote. When you go to vote. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go everywhere that I set. Now think about this. and Then think about Isaiah, his calling. Drop down to verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched my mouth and said, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. See, this is a totally different calling. How God comes to him, a different way of dealing with Isaiah than Jeremiah. God says very gently to Isaiah, you have a high opinion of yourself. To Jeremiah he says, you have too low a view of yourself. Jeremiah says, no, 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 I can't possibly do that. I can't, I can't do these things. God says, I'm near you, right? Isaiah, too high of a view of himself, God doesn't communicate to Isaiah nearness, does he? I'm here. I'll help you. No, 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 no. He's high and he's holy. It's a communication of loftiness because that's what Isaiah needed. Now, why is that? Well, we know that from the first chapter of Isaiah. When he, when, I mean, the sixth chapter in verse 1 of Isaiah. We know that Isaiah's father is Amaz, right? Who is Amaz? You know, It tells us Isaiah's father was the brother of, of the father of Uzziah, the king. He's family. He's royal family. The brother of the king. So Isaiah's a member of the cultural elite. I mean, he's got it all. He, he's, he's, a, he's part of the royal family. That makes Isaiah very different than other prophets. Most of the other prophets that have been called of God. Most of them came from the lower class, from humble beginnings. Remember Amos. The prophet Amos, Amos was called the bruiser of sycamore fruits. (laughs) That was his job. You'd you'd hit that fruit so it would ripen. You'd go around banging on this this fruit, and he was a, a hitter of sycamore fruit. Sycamore fruit was cheap, you know, only the poor people bought that fruit. The people who harvested also were poor. Amos and most of the prophets are like that, but not Isaiah. Not Isaiah. The Isaiahs of the world are the people who go to the right schools. They're they're educated. They're from the right families with the right connections with people. They're smarter. They're the Isaiahs. They're the ones that are thinner. They're, They're better dressed. And as a result, they consider ministry and people say, wow, wow. If, uh, if uh, you go into ministry, that would be something, because you're something. If you, if you, you know, the, I, the Isaiahs are smarter, wow, someone like you go into, boy, that, that would be something. If you went into the ministry, then things would happen. Then things would happen. Isaiah was surely prone to that. He was in the right place. He was in those circles. And as a result, when God shows up, You see it? You see what's happening here? God is as high as high can be. Isaiah gets nosebleed just looking at him. There's no sweetness here. There's no I'll be near you here. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I've known you from the beginning. Before you were knit in your mother's womb. I knew you. None of that. No, no, no. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah got what he needed. So did Jeremiah. So did Jeremiah. One quick example. Uh, Lloyd Jones, you, you know, he's one of my favorites. I uh, use this illustration. He says, he said, well, he said, let's, let's say I was at your house and you weren't there for some reason. And, and a bill came due and I was there and I picked up the mail at your house and and I and I paid it and I'm just calling you to say the bill came and, and I paid the bill. What do you think of that? Well the answer would be you don't know what to think about it. Okay. You know, what, what what was the bill? <laughs> what did you pay? What was going on there, right? If it's a postage due on a letter. Okay. Okay, that's that's fine. You paid you paid the bill, right? Gee, thanks. But if it was the IRS and you owed $40,000 of back taxes today, otherwise they were going to put a foreclosure or a lien on your property tomorrow. You wouldn't know whether to say thank you or, or kiss their feet. You know, I took care of that. I took care of that, you know. Look carefully. Isaiah didn't think he needed any mercy. He had to be humbled. Jeremiah is the opposite. Jeremiah had to be brought into a relationship with God and experience his mercy. I'm here, Jeremiah. I care. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. Isaiah really hadn't seen how helpless he was. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Came to God in different ways. Different ways. So it's very dangerous for us to take, you know, the way that we found God, every one of us, who we are here and how we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that shape, that experience of, of what happened in our lives, and then impose that on somebody else in, in their walk with the Lord. Well, you're you're not coming that you didn't come the same way I came to Jesus. Some of us have been just devastated early on in our lives because of our sinfulness. We've been devastated. Sense of our sinfulness, the wickedness, who we have been is, is, is paramount. But you talk to somebody else, maybe a new new believer in the Lord who came to Christ, and you say, Well, tell me about how you came to Jesus. And it's nothing like what you went through. And you think, Oh, I don't know if this person is a real Christian. You know? Be careful. Be careful. Let me give you an illustration. Two ministers. Two ministers. One guy in his preaching, he he, he uses a lot of stories about himself. Talks about himself incessantly throughout his sermons, and he's been preaching for years, lots and lots and lots of things. He's always talking about himself. This Happened to me and that happened to me, and this is, you know, at at the end one of his talks, an older gentleman in the congregation went up to him, he says, you know, and he's blasting him, you know. He says, I sat for 30 years under the sermons of Dr. So-and-so and and -and so-and-so. He was a great man of God, and he never, 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 ever told a story about himself. Ever. He considered that proud. See, you can't do that. You can't do that. You see, some of us need God's mercy to open our mouths. Others need God's holiness to shut our mouths. That's true. That's true. It depends. It depends. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you'll see no references to Isaiah anywhere in the book. Look at it in the book of Isaiah. None. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it's constant references. He's talking about himself and he's going through this and he's going through that. Be careful. Be careful. So let's move on. What are these, what are these, what are these seraphs, these, these fiery ones, these holy ones that we're looking at here? Well, they have six wings. Well, what does that mean? Well, the commentators tell us these, the two wings covering their feet are actually acts of modesty. They're covering their, their feet. It's a way of saying, I'm not worthy. You know, Two of them on their back, therefore, to move quickly. If God gives a command, you move quickly to, to answer that command, to do what God wants you to do. And then the two that covered their face, were they had trouble looking at the brilliance of God. He was so, so majestic, so, br- so holy. And so they had wings that covered the face. And the question that immediately comes up is, how holy must this God be if angels can't look at him? What is the holiness of God? You know, what is the holiness of God? It's all of his moral excellence. All of his moral excellence wrapped up together. It's his incredible generosity. It's an unbelievable justice. It's his bottomless grace. His Unbelievable love that he has, his trustworthiness. But it's not just that, it's all that put together. And it's majestic, it's brilliant. And that's what they saw. That's what they were looking at. And yet, they're looking, but they're not looking. You know? Why are they trying? Why do they even want to? Because they love it. They love it. They're praising it. They're attracted to the holiness of God. They love it. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They can't stand to look at it directly. It hurts to look, but they can't stand not to look because they love it so much. This is one of the great marks of Christian experience of who we are as God's people. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book, and it's hard to read, but it's very important, and it's called Religious Affections. Religious Affections. And Edwards was trying to write down a series, and he had 12 characteristics that he thought distinguish real Christians from counterfeit. The third of the marks is... That only a real Christian will experience, he says. They will be attracted and they will worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Only a real Christian will experience. They will be attracted and will worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Here's his reasoning. Here's his reasoning. He says, if somebody loves you, they tell you that they love you, and you're going to get married someday, and you suddenly, uh, in your life, you, you lose all your money, your 401k, everything's gone. You lose your job, you don't have anything. So you turn to your spouse-to-be, and you say, you know, I, I, I need you right now. I really need you. I've lost everything. And what if that person says, you know, the wedding's off? The wedding's off. Why? Well, you lost all your money. Well, yeah. Well, things are different now. Things are different now. Would you be outraged? Would you feel violated as a person, as an individual? This person doesn't love me. This person doesn't love me for who I am. This person loves me because of my money. They're using me. And Edwards says, in his commentary on this, how do you know if somebody loves God? He says you can't know if they're fascinated in praising God for his power. Why? Because if you're using God's power, that's very attractive. Power's like money. You got, you're using God for that power to take care of you know, this, that, and whatever else. It certainly would, we'd love to have a powerful God, and we do have a powerful God. I, but if I'm using God and using that power for me, I can benefit from that. See? It's for me. It's for my benefit. The power of God is something you can be very excited about and not love him at all. Just excited about the power of God. Then he says, well, what about the wisdom of God? You know, Yes, yes, yes. I want a God who knows everything. Boy, that would really come in handy for me. God knows everything. You see, you, you could just be marrying God for his money. You could be marrying God for his power. You could be marrying God for his wisdom. And even the forgiveness of God And Edwards says you can get excited about those and they're very important. But here's the thing, and I love what he says here. He says, nobody, nobody but a real Christian could ever love God for his holiness. Because holiness of God is of no benefit to you. of no benefit to you. The holiness of God is a terrible threat unless you know you're redeemed. And what we're saying, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. The holiness of God is only attractive if you love God, if you love him for the beauty of who he is, this is what, what Jesus is saying with, with Mary and Martha. She's chosen the best. She's communing with me. She's sitting at my feet. She's, her face is uplifted. She loves me. To look at his perfections, the perfections of God, to look at his excellence, to look at the moral beauty and the... the that's the kind of mark of the seraphs. That's what they're doing. Holy, holy, holy. They're singing to each other. They can't help it. The words, the, the songs, the, that's the mark of a real experience of God. Loving God for who he is. Just for who he is. There's a whole lot of other marks, by the way, John uh, Edwards has. Uh, he says, if you love him for who he is then you will be unconditional in your obedience. Now think about that. If you love him for who he is, you will be unconditional in your obedience to him. There would never be a condition of your obedience because the reason you obey God is to please him because you have such a great love for him. You desire, you just want to please him. What can I do, Lord? So then all of service comes out of that love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and out of that comes the joy of serving the Lord. I just want to please God with my life, whatever he asked me to do. If a person says, I serve God and I, um, and I didn't get to grad school, I serve God and, and, uh, and I'm not married yet, and I serve God and all these things have gone wrong in my life, what good is God? What good is God? Do you know what you're saying? You're using God. You're using God. You're saying, God, I guess the wedding's off. I'm not getting what I want. I guess the wedding is off. I mean, he should be as outraged as you would be. You see, the most important and the easiest uh, to understand sign that you really have met the real God, the almighty God, that you really love God for who he is, is that you're attracted to his holiness. You're attracted to the holiness of God. That's what's happening here in Isaiah. And he's being blown away because he understands his own sinfulness, wretchedness that he has. The Bible says that if you gaze into the holiness of God and love it, that you meditate on him and say, I love that that you'll become like that. You know that? You will become like that. You will be like him. If you find your heart going out like that, like the seraphs do, I, 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 I can't look on it, and yet I can't look away. I can't look, on, but, I, but I can't look away. You know you've been touched by the grace of God, and you're finally communing with God. Are you tracking with me? What I'm saying. One last thing. And that's why this passage is so amazing to me. At the very end, you have this, uh, this amazing thing. We see him falling down, right? He falls down. He says, and there's a lot to say about that. You know, woe is me, I'm ruined. There's a lot to say about that. He suddenly sees his sin. He sees God. So he's he's down in the depths but from the altar. What's the altar? What's the altar? It's a place where the blood is spilled. It's a place where the blood is spilled. It's a place where sins are atoned for. He's down in the dirt. But from the altar, Isaiah was a prophet. He was a professional preacher. He knew what the altar was for. He knew what it was for from the place of sacrifice a coal touches his lips touches his life and because of forgiveness he's turned into someone who will do anything think about it he will do anything do you know what the job description is here and Tracy you were talking about this a couple of weeks ago you know it's pretty interesting It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Drop down to verse 9. if You're there in Isaiah 6. So right after that, God said, Now wait, wait a minute. Let me give you the job description. Let me give you the job description. It's one of the most interesting job descriptions in history. You know? He says in verse 9, Go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn to me and be healed. And then he says to God, Well, for how long? How long do I got to do this? You know? And he answers in verse 11 and verse 12. Until the cities lie ruined without inhabitants, until houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravished, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. But as for the tenebrite and the oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed, now listen, the holy seed will be the stump In the land. What's he saying about serving God? You know? He says, Isaiah, I want you to go preach. I want you to preach. But I want you to realize for the rest of your life, no one is going to listen to you. Nobody. Nobody. Nada. But eventually, a holy seed you plant will come up but not in your lifetime. Not in your lifetime. They'll be mad at you. They're going to hunt you down. They'll never listen to you. Never, 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 never. Here I am. Send me. Because he saw the holiness of God. And lift it up. Here I am, don't care. I'm here for you to be your obedient servants. What's going on here? He saw what you and I need to see as God's people. When he saw the Lord on the throne, it was the year that King Uzziah died. What does that mean? Israel was in an uproar because the king had passed away and that, that was just the beginning of their troubles because trouble was coming. We know that. Assyria was rising up. There was a great empire and they were going to come down hard on Israel pretty soon. Everybody's upset. The, the country is in uproar. Isaiah comes to the temple. He sees the Lord on the throne. The throne is not empty. He sees the Lord. the reason he's so excited and not anxious anymore is because he saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Why are you anxious? Why are you upset? I read an article, maybe you guys probably have seen it. it started, you want to overcome worry in your life, put a rubber band on your wrist, and you know, whenever you find yourself worrying or anxious, just grab it and snap it and, and say to yourself, worrying doesn't solve anything. Well, I got a better suggestion for you. I got a better suggestion. You don't need a rubber band. You need to see the Lord of hosts. You need to see the Lord high and lifted up. You need to understand who that is seated on the throne, the one who is utterly in control of life, the one who created it all, the one who created it all. The one who loves me, who, who, who's put the, this, this coal on my lips, who's turned my life around, is on the throne of the universe. That's what I know. That's what I know. I know that, and I don't care whether people do this or people do that, I, I, what, what your idea of success or failure is, he's on the throne. He's on the throne. He's on the throne of your life. He's on the throne for the people of God. And that's what you need. That's what I, you don't, need to, you, don't, you don't need tricks. You don't need a technique or a rubber band. You need to see the Lord high and lifted up. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Ask. See Him. That's the Christian experience. And we all experience it in different ways. But The end result is we see the holiness of God. And that changes our life. Let's pray together. Our Father God, as we come to the temple, we come in and we we see the Lord. We experience you. When we experience you, we leave with a boldness. We leave with a strength. We leave with a spiritual awakening, joyful, joyful, joyful. (laughs) No matter what life throws at us, no matter what difficulties we find in our life, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. Make us courageous, make us pure, strong, give us a deep, full, open, wide relationship with you. And that's what we ask, nothing less, nothing less, nothing less. So help us, our fathers, as we come before you, open our hearts, open our lives, open our eyes, that we see the holiness of God. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen.